Uh, We're turning to Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to ask that you follow along with me as I read, and this should be on the screen behind me as well. We're going to read two pieces of scripture, starting in Genesis 11, then go in Genesis 12. I'll tell you when we move. This is God's word. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Amen. Well, pardon me while I cough. We're going to have a bit of that today. You can hear it in my voice. If your high school was like mine, it was probably filled with reminders of the exceptional students of the past. In the gymnasium at my high school, they had on the wall names of all the great athletes from the history of the school. And I was on the cross-country team, the running team. And so uh, when, when it was raining outside, we'd have to come into the gym to do our stretching. We still ran in the rain, but we'd have to stretch inside. That was their gift to us. And so we'd sit in the gym, and I would look over the names of these, these amazing athletes from the past. One of my friends, his dad, his name was up on the, on the wall as a state champion runner. And that was, you know, 30 years after, the, effect, after the, the fact. In the foyer of the school, there was the Academic Hall of Fame with pictures of all the great students, the great scholars of, of all the years of the school. And I don't know if it's possible to, to see that, to look at that, and not wonder what it would be like to get your name on the wall, to do something so extraordinary that it would be remembered for years to come. Deep in us as humans is a desire for greatness, We want to be somebody. We don't want to be nobody. We want to do something that matters, something that's noticed, something that's remembered. And that's not necessarily bad. We've seen in the book of Genesis that we were made in the image of God. We were made with a kind of greatness. We're made like him. He, he, as our creator, made us to create, to to make new things, to innovate, to make new ways of doing things, to, to make an impact on the world. We were made for a kind of greatness. Our lives are supposed to be meaningful. It's part of being human. But this passage shows us that there are two very different ways of pursuing greatness with very different motivations and very different outcomes. And the first way to pursue greatness 
The Babel way is through proud achievement. So last week we looked at Noah and the flood. When the earth was so full of sin and violence and injustice that God decided that he was going to wipe out, he was going to wipe it clean. He was going to get rid of all life on the earth except for what he saved, what he preserved in the ark, namely Noah and Noah's family and two of every animal. It was a fresh start on earth. And so when Noah and his family came out of the ark, God said to them what he'd said to Adam and Eve when he had created them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, have kids that move away from home, that go new places, that expand over the whole face of the earth until it's covered in my image. And so after the flood, the family of Noah, they began to spread out. And some of them came to the land of Shinar, Genesis tells us, which is where uh, Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon would later be, it's modern day Iraq. They came to Shinar and they thought, this looks like a nice place to settle. I think, let's build a city here. And so they, there wasn't any stone. They didn't have any stone there. And so they, they said, let's make our own stone. We're going we're gonna to take some mud, form it into bricks, burn it with fire. We'll make our own stone and we're going to build a great city with a tower that reaches to heaven, a skyscraper. And Moses tells us that God came down to see what they were up to, and he didn't like what he saw. Now, at the time, everyone had the same language because they were all from, they were all children of Noah, right? They were all from one family. They had the same language. And, and God decided to confuse their language, to replace their one language with lots of languages to stop them because once they couldn't speak the same language, they couldn't work together. They couldn't keep building the city. They couldn't keep building the tower. And from there, it says they were scattered over the face of the earth. Now, what was it about their project that God didn't like? What was it that he was opposed to? Was he opposed to innovation? He just didn't like new stuff? No. He, he made us for that. Did he not? Does he just not like brick? W- buildings of wood, buildings of stone, that's all fine. Bricks, I just can't stand. Was that it? Was it that God just doesn't like cities? God prefers the bush. No, right? The book of Revelation tells us that heaven is a city. So what did God not like? He didn't like the why. He didn't like why they were making the great city and the tower. Look at verse 4. What does it say? It says, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Their motivation in pursuing greatness, their why, was to make a name for themselves. It was driven by pride. And when I say pride, I don't mean the pleasure you feel when your child is kind to another child without you having to tell them, or the, the pleasure you feel when, you're, when your child works hard at exams and, and aces them. I, it's not the, the satisfaction you feel at a job well done. Pride is living as though the world revolves around you. These people said, let's build ourselves a city and a tower. Let's make a name for ourselves. If we can do this, then we'll really be someone special. We won't be like everyone else. We will be special and unusual. Then our lives will have meaning and value. Now, God had made these people in his image. He made them with strength and imagination, a capacity to work together, all the things they were using. And he sent them into the world to cultivate it, to bring out its potential, to make the world, the whole world, as great a place to live and love God as the Garden of Eden was. They were to use what he had given them to fill the earth with his glory, to make it so that in every place people are loving him and serving him and praising him. And they said, no. We're not going to live for God's glory. 
We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to take everything that God has given and make something that points to us. They put themselves at the center of their, own, of their lives. They displaced God from his place. It was pride. Now, before you look down on the tower builders, do you never do anything to make a name for yourself? You don't ever make sure the right people are aware of your accomplishments at work so you can get on the fast track for promotion. You don't ever, when you're shopping for clothes or a car or a home, think to yourself, people are really going to notice me in this. You don't craft Facebook posts or Instagram pictures to make your life look just amazing so the pictures stand out, so they get lots of likes. We have some incredibly driven people in this church. I feel like a schlub a lot of times when I know what you guys are involved in. We have people that you work long hours, you get advanced degrees and professional certifications, you train for marathons and triathlons, you start your own businesses and your own nonprofits. And none of that is bad. All of it can be done for God's glory. But what is underneath it? Underneath it, what is driving you really? Is it the honor of God or is it to make a name for yourself? If it's to make a name for yourself, consider how insecure your life will be. Because if you have to make a name for yourself and you fail, you're nothing. You don't have a name. Have you seen, have you seen, I know there are like 15 of them now. Have you seen the original Rocky? I don't know if there, there might be other good ones, but this one for sure is at least the good one. The original Rocky. Rocky tells Adrian, his girlfriend, that uh, he doesn't think he can beat Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed is the champ, right? He doesn't think he can beat him, but he said, it doesn't matter if I don't beat him. I just want to make it to the end of the match. I just want to stay standing. He says, all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed, and if I can go that distance, if the bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. That's what we do, isn't it? We say, if I can just do this, if I can just be this, then I'm somebody, then I have a name, then I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. But if everything, if we have to make a name for ourselves, then everything hangs on us. If we fail, we're nobody. And when we live this way, to make a name for ourselves, what happens to our relationship with God? This passage shows us that when we, when we live to make a name for ourselves, we'll resist the commands of God. The commands of God show us how to glorify him. But if we're living to make a name for ourselves, then there's going to be friction there, right? God's commands are going to rub against that. So what, what do the builders say here? They say, this is again in verse 4, they say, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And that was what God had told them to do, wasn't it? God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they said, whoa. If we, have to, if we get scattered over the face of the earth, that's really going to endanger the city and the tower. And that's our name. That's what's going to make us stand out. We can't, we can't do that, right? There was conflict between God's commands and their project to make a name for themselves. And the same thing happens to us. If our life is built around making a name for ourselves in our career, and we, and we just pour our entire life into that, sooner or later that's going to run head-on into God's commands about rest, into God's commands about being a, an attentive spouse and parent, into God's commands about being in the lives of your neighbors. Work isn't everything. Now, if you're living for God, you can make that adjustment. But if your job is your name, if your job is what makes you somebody, then you're going to resist God's commands. 
If your life is built around making a name for yourself in what you own, in, in your house, in your car, in the lifestyle you lead, in the restaurants you go to, the places you travel to, that's eventually going to run head-on into God's commands about generosity, about using your money for others. And if, if money is just money to you, you can make the adjustment. But if money is your name, if, it was, if it's what makes you feel like somebody rather than nobody, then that's going to be a problem for you. If your life is driven by pride, driven by the need to be somebody in the eyes of others, then God's commands are going to be dangerous to you rather than delightful because they're going to put in danger the thing that you're looking to to give your life meaning and significance. And the danger that flows from that is that you're going to begin to reshape your view of God until he approves of the, the way that you're living. And that's probably what was happening here. So you'll notice that it says, let us build a tower with its top in the heavens. They didn't just want to build a tall tower. They wanted to touch heaven. And a lot of scholars think that the tower that they built was something called a ziggurat, which was a, it was a kind of temple in this part of the world at the time. It, it was shaped like a pyramid, but what it really was was a stairway to heaven. And, and people thought that if you, if you built this ziggurat, you built this stairway to heaven, then it would make it possible for the gods or God to come down the stairs and bless you. It, it made a relationship between you and heaven. And so what they've done here is they've, they've kind of downplayed this idea of this God who wants them to fill the earth. And now they're trying to, they want to worship a God who's just kind of happy to be involved. Like God, God's thinking, hey, they built me a tower. Like they, now I can come down. You know, that was kind of a big jump, but now there are stairs. I can, I can get down there and bless them. This is great. I love this. They've changed their view of God so that he approves of how they're living. And that's a danger for us too. And it's, it's this. It's this way that our pride causes us to, to, to rebel against God's commands and reshape our view of him that leads to the, the great problem about living a life of, of proud achievement, which is namely that God opposes it. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now that... That's supposed to be funny. It's ironic, at least. So these people have said, we're going to build the greatest tower the world has ever seen. We're going to build a tower with its top in the heavens. And God in heaven is like, what are they doing down there? Like, it's, it is so far down, I can't even see it. I'm going to have to go down just to see the tower that they're building. They thought it was this amazing achievement, but it's so far beneath God, he has to come down just to see what they're building. They can't build a tower to reach heaven. God is way, way beyond our reach. But he comes down, and he comes down in judgment. Because he knows what's going to happen if he doesn't intervene. He says they're one people, they have one language. This is just the beginning of what they're going to do. They're actually going to do it. They're going to build the city, they're going to build a tower, they're going to make their lives around themselves, they're not going to scatter over the earth, and we can't have that. And so he comes down in judgment, and he scrambles their languages, and he scatters them. So one way to pursue greatness is to think of something that will really set you apart. That if you do it, you'll know you're somebody and to give your life entirely to that. Proud achievement. And Genesis 11 tells us that ultimately it leads nowhere. Because what did they want? They wanted to make a name for themselves. Do you know, the, do you know their names? Their names are forgotten, right? They didn't want to be scattered over the face of the earth. What's the one thing that happened? They got scattered, right? The only name we know from them is the name of the city, Babel, which Moses tells us means confusion, which is probably not how they wanted to be remembered. This, this is not 
A life of proud achievement doesn't lead where we want it to. It leads nowhere. Or even worse, it leads to judgment. That's the wrong way to pursue greatness. So what's the alternative? The alternative is the way of Abram. So the second way to pursue greatness is obedient faith. So God still has this plan. He has this this vision for filling the earth with his image, filling the world with people that love and worship him. And now he's, he's scattered the, t- the, temp- the temple builders, he's scattered the tower builders, he's, he is filling the earth with people, but they're still proud. They're still alienated from him, they're still living for themselves. So he has to do something to reach all the people of the earth with the good news about him, to bring them back. And that's what he's going to do through the family of Abraham, who is here, he's called Abram. God changes his name later in, in, in Genesis. So God calls Abram in chapter 12, verse 1. This is what he says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is going to make Abram great. Not great in the way that the tower builders were great, not great in the way that they would be famous and everyone would think of them, but greatly used by God. He was going to bless all the families of the earth through Abram. God's way of greatness doesn't start with an ambition to make our mark, to make something of ourselves. God's way of greatness starts with his grace. We don't know much about Abram's life before God called him, but what we know tells us that God didn't choose Abram because of his extraordinary devotion. In the book of Joshua, the Lord says to the people of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates River, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. So when God called Abram, he was serving other gods. He wasn't this, uh, this paragon of worship and devotion. God didn't choose him because he was already great. God, God chose him by grace. He wanted to use him so that he would get the glory. So God came to him in grace and said, Go where I send you, and I'll use you for something great. And this call that God gives him is incredibly costly to Abram. Right? What does he tell him to leave? He says, you have to leave your land. You have to leave, which includes anything you own in the land. You have to leave the land. You have to leave your kindred, your people, the people that you know and are comfortable around. You have to leave your father's house. You have to go alone. And God says, leave what you know, leave what is comfortable, leave everyone who knows you, and follow me to a place I'll show you. He doesn't even tell him where he's going. He just says, go. So God's call was costly for Abram, and the promise that he makes him is, it was improbable. God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, right? I'm going to bless all the people of the earth through your family. And that was improbable because of what it says in chapter 11, verse 30. If you look up just before our passage, this is what Moses tells us. Now Sarai, which is Abram's wife, was barren. She had no child. God said, I'm going to make you a, a nation, and he doesn't even have a child, it says in, at the end of verse 4 in chapter 12, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I'm not saying that 75 years old is old, but it's old to be having a baby, right? It was, it, the promise was improbable. So the call was costly, the promise was improbable, and Abram went. He went. Why? Faith. 
Abram believed what God said. It's the same thing we saw last week with Noah, right? Why did Noah build the ark? Because he believed what God had said about the flood. Why did Abram leave his whole life behind? Because he believed that he had heard the living God tell him to. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He couldn't see it. He obeyed by faith. Abram's faith, it wasn't a generic belief that God exists, that he's out there somewhere. It was a specific trust in a specific God, the Lord, that led him to obey him. He didn't know where he was going. He just knew who was calling him to go. Now, my family and I have started a tradition of watching a movie together on Sunday evenings as a way of sort of wrapping up the weekend, getting, getting ready for the week ahead. And so uh, there's a pretty small sweet spot of movies that are not terrifying to small children, but also entertaining for adults. And so in that sweet spot, there are a lot of Pixar movies. We end up watching a lot of Pixar movies. So if you've seen Cars, the first Cars, where Lightning McQueen gets stranded in Radiator Springs, um, Lightning McQueen, in that movie, he thinks he's a hotshot racer, but he cannot figure out how to turn on dirt. He just, every time, he just flies off the track. And so Doc Hudson, who's this, like, curmudgeonly former racer in town, tells him, when you come around the curve, you have to steer right to go left. And McQueen is like, come on. Like, I am a racing master. I am a, I'm a champion. You cannot teach me anything. There's tur- steer right to go left. Come on. And so you guys know what happens. He comes around the curve. He does what he's always done. And he shoots off an embankment into a patch of cactus. Right? He thought that he knew everything. He could not imagine that Doc Hudson had anything to teach him. God's commands often run against our intuition, right? Give away my money and make me more vulnerable to whatever I need money for. Don't live together before we're married. This, this command would have sounded like that to Abram. Leave everything behind. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why you could be calling me to that. He had to trust that God was the expert, that God knew more than he did, that God's commands were good for him. We have to be very careful about an attitude that says, I'll obey God if I can understand why he tells me to do this. That's not how obedience works. God is the why. We obey because it's God. He sets the terms. At Babel, they tried to set the terms of their relationship to God. We'll build the tower, and you come down and bless us. But that's not how it works. Here, God sets the terms. He came to Abram. Abram was an idol worshiper, and he came to him and said, I'm calling you. Leave everything you have, and let's go. Living by obedient faith might sound frightening, because it's basically writing God a blank check with your life. Faith says, I'll believe what you say, and I'll do what you tell me, no matter what. It steps into the unknown. It costs us, just like it cost Abram. Abram. But consider what Abram found on the road of obedient faith. If you look at the passage, there's only one thing God tells Abram to do. He says, go. And everything else in the passage is what God will do for him. He says, go to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse What made Abraham great? God did. 
How do, why do we know his name? Not mainly because of what he did, mainly because of what God did through him. God came to him in grace and said, I'm going to do this and this and this for you and through you. And Abraham's part was just to trust and obey. It was just obedient faith. And God took it from there. He gave him a son, miraculously. He provided for him. He protected him. He did use his family to make himself known to the whole earth. He did things through him far beyond what he could have ever expected. All Abraham did was say yes to God. God said go, and he went. Do you want a truly meaningful life? A life with purpose and accomplishment. A life that's useful to the people around you. Say yes to God. Believe what he tells you in this book. Do what he commands. And trust that on the road of obedient faith, God will use you greatly. Now, he hasn't promised you what he promised Abram. He's not promising that he's going to make your name great, that everyone's going to know you thousands of years from now. But you will be known by God. Like Abram, you will be his friend. You will know him face to face. It's a life of deep security and assurance. In the Babel way of pursuing greatness, I'm nothing if I don't achieve. I have to make a name for myself. But Abram didn't need to make a name for himself. What does Genesis 12 say? God, God says, I will make your name great. I'm going to do it. Abram didn't need to achieve to be approved. Before he even started out, he had the only approval that matters. In Genesis 15, Moses tells us that Abram believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Through faith, Abraham was righteous in God's sight. He didn't have to do everything perfectly. He, he wasn't perfect. If you read the stories about Abram, you'll find that out. He wasn't perfect. But he believed God and God counted him as righteous. His identity was secure. He didn't need to make himself somebody in the eyes of the world. He was already somebody to God. He was God's friend. We are all going to pursue greatness in one of two ways. We can try to make a name for ourselves through proud achievement, which will make us incredibly insecure. It'll cause us to resist God's commands and ultimately is fruitless, as fruitless as the Tower of Babel. Or we can come to God on his terms. Let him tell us how to live and trust that he will give us a name, that he will make us who we need to be, and that will give us resilience to people's opinion of us. It doesn't matter what they think because we know what God thinks. It'll give us an ability to follow God when it's costly. And ultimately, God will use us for his glory, just like he used Abram. So there's two ways to live. Which one is you? And how can you move from the first to the second the same way Abram did? By grace. God told Abram that he would bless all the families of the earth through him. And, and the New Testament tells us that the way the blessing of Abraham comes to the nations is by extending to them the same offer God made to Abram. Galatians 3 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What does that mean? It means that, that just as Abraham was justified by faith, he was counted righteous in God's sight just by believing what God said, so is everyone who believes like he does. God says to you, as he said to Abram, believe in me 
and follow me and I will count you as righteous in my sight. All your sins forgiven, flawless, dearly loved, child of God, and I will use you in the world for my glory just like I used Abram. I'll extend through you my praise and glory to the ends of the earth. How can he do that? How can he extend his blessing so freely to us? It comes to us freely, but it was costly to him. At Babel, God came down to execute judgment, but centuries later, God came down in Jesus Christ, not to execute judgment, but to bear it. Jesus took our sins upon himself and died in our place. In our pride, we put ourselves in God's place at the center of our lives. But on the cross, Jesus put himself in our place, taking our judgment. Jesus was counted guilty so we can be counted righteous through faith. He took the curse so we can have the blessing. And God invites you to come to him just as Abram did by faith, by grace. If you've been trying to achieve greatness through making a name for yourself, stop. Turn from that and trust God to give you a better name. He will forgive you and fill you with his spirit and use you for his glory. And that is the only greatness that lasts. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the grace you extend to us. Just like Abram, we follow other gods. We worship things in this world. We worship ourselves. We live for ourselves and our own name and our own good. And yet you come to us in grace. You choose us. You call us and you say, follow me and I will bless you. I will count you righteous. I will make you great. <coughs> Father, we don't deserve that, <coughs> but we rejoice that that has come to us through Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would help us as individuals and as a church not to live for a name for ourselves, not to live to make our name great, but to live for your glory, to live so that more know you and trust you and praise you and have eternal life in you. That is what we long for, God. And so I pray that you would turn us from living for ourselves Help us to live gladly for you because you gave all to make us yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.